this in mind. God wants you to be saved. So you don't go to God and say, listen, I, I, I need to convince you to save me. I, what's it going to do to to turn you so that you're willing to save me? God wants me in heaven. He wants you to have everlasting life. All you're doing is allowing God to do in your life what he wants to do. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to get holy. You don't have to be good. You simply present yourself to God and say, all right, all right, you've been pursuing me. Here I am. You can have me. You can have me now. And as far as I'm concerned, you can have me forever. And you keep making that decision. Heaven is yours. The moment you 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 yield your life to Christ, he's got you. Have you ever stopped in the middle of your day as you read another tragic headline and wondered, what is happening to our world? As we are recording this podcast, my country, the United States of America, is mourning in the wake of another weekend where dozens of people lost their lives in two mass shootings. And when we look around the world, we can see civil unrest flaring up everywhere as people publicly protest their fear and unrest at what is happening around them. Is this the new normal for our world? Do we have nothing to look forward to other than more violence, more hatred, more of our freedoms being taken away from us as a result? Is there hope for humanity? In this episode, I was privileged to interview Pastor John Bradshaw, who believes there is hope, hope in the second coming of Jesus. I got a chance to meet John in person at a retreat last December and was inspired by both his passion for Jesus and his passion to share the message of a coming Savior with the world. For those of you who don't know, John Bradshaw has been serving the church in various capacities for almost 30 years and currently is the speaker and director of It Is Written, a television program and evangelistic ministry that reaches millions of people every year with the gospel. John is also a sought-after speaker for local events spanning the globe. I hope you are inspired by my conversation with him as much as I was. I started the interview by asking him what he is up to these days. Thanks for having me, Travis. There are several things right now. At It Is Written, we have developed a number of resources for children designed to get children uh, into the Bible and closer to the heart of God or close to the heart of God. We love that. It Is Written TV is our new 24-7 television channel, and so that gives us the opportunity to communicate the good news every second of every day globally, and that's very exciting. We're hearing some neat things back from that. Um, at, at this very moment, we're getting ready to move into a new It Is Written ministry headquarters. Uh, that excites me too because it's been a long time coming, and it's going to facilitate more effective and more efficient ministry. That's still a few weeks off. And uh, we're just around the corner from another major series of um, Bible presentations, this time in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, making plans for Indianapolis, Indiana. There's just a lot going on because at It Is Written, where I work, everything we do is geared towards sharing the Bible, sharing Jesus, sharing what we would call the good news with other people. That is so awesome. I I wanted to kind of follow that up. Yeah, for someone maybe who's listening to the the podcast today who hasn't um, been introduced to it is written. 
what would you say is the vision behind uh, the existence of, of It Is Written? I mean, tell us a little bit about It Is Written and its history. Well, about 63 years ago, a man named George Vanderman began It Is Written. George was an evangelist, and he would travel from city to city and hold gospel meetings for the purpose of introducing people to Jesus, to the Bible. And then he had this idea that if he could harness the reach, the power, the effectiveness of television, then he would be able to reach a whole lot more people for Christ. And he began a television program named It Is Written, and the ministry that formed around that um, took the same name, It Is Written. The point was to share the Bible, to share Jesus, to share hope, to share good news with as many people as possible. And that's still our vision today, our dream today, our desire today. Uh, I think no matter where you stand, whatever your philosophy, I think I could be wrong, but I think most people would look at the world and say, ooh, we have some major trouble, some major problems, um, lots and lots of them. So what's the answer? And I don't want to sound simplistic for somebody who's not of a Christian background, but I believe Christians would say we've got an awful lot to offer. When there's so much in the world today that's hostile, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And frankly, that is not out of step with what you hear in society today. You'll hear uh, people who are big in pop culture say such things as, hey, man, it's all about love. We just need to love. We need more love. We need to love each other. Well, you know, Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. So when George Vanderman was wanting to share with the world hope, some solid answers, um, a future that, that really was worth living. He was sharing the good news of the Bible, the love of God, the answers that Scripture contains. And we intend, we wish, we desire, we try to do that very same thing today. Wow, you know, and that's kind of the the vision behind Adventology as well. You know, our tagline is, Be Ready for Jesus. And uh, so all the episodes on the podcast have been kind of uh, along that same vision, you know, in a different genre of of the podcast world. But, uh, you know, we definitely believe in the soon coming of Jesus. And and I know that your ministry does as well. And so kind of just to kind of introduce this idea, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm sure you're presenting a series uh, one of the early presentations that you use would be kind of talking about why do we believe Jesus is coming soon? What are some current events or things happening around the world that would lead a thinking individual to uh, actually um, accept that idea? How, how how do you do that? And what are some things right now that you see happening that that uh, you're sharing with your your um your listeners and and the people that you are sharing the gospel with well i don't mind saying that i think jesus is coming back soon based on what i see in the bible if we didn't have the bible we would at least know wow things are kind of crazy right now but because the bible forecasts this uh, some people came to jesus some of his closest friends they said what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And then he started to walk them through what today we would call a Bible study, but back then it was, well, it was a conversation. And he started to share with them the very things, the very reasons that he, that they would know. In fact, we could know that the end of the world, the end of things as we know them is kind of close. 
He started off by saying, many will say, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And we've seen that again and again. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, where are we now? You know what year it is and still we have saber rattling and brinkmanship and threats and, and I mean, what? We just don't want to learn from the lessons of the past. No one wants to. Unfortunately, it seems the battlefields of this world are going to be littered with more dead bodies, you know, before we're done. And it just doesn't make any sense. Jesus said that nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He spoke of famines, pestilences, earthquakes. And as we look around the world today, it's not just that we have a famine here or there or a disease outbreak here or there. But uh, we're getting more of them, and they're becoming more intense, more frequent and more intense. In fact, Jesus said, and you, you read this in Matthew chapter 24, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And the word sorrows is a word that really means birth pains. And we know that the closer the baby gets to arrival, the more frequent and the more intense the contractions or the birth pains get. So Jesus said you'd be able to see these things and they'd be getting, getting worse and more frequent. Now, I, I hope that anyone listening is able to separate out politics. I'm, I'm not meaning to be political in the least, mm -hmm. but consider mass shootings. Right. Oh, my goodness. You know, my father-in-law remembers the days when boys would show up at school with guns in the gun rack of the pickup truck. Now, they weren't supposed to, but, you know, a boy might go off hunting in the morning and he'd arrive at school with his gun in the pickup truck and he'd... You'd either leave it, you know, on the floor in the front or in the gun in the gun rack. Uh, no one feared that someone, some school student was going to grab a gun and, and, and kill people. But now we have, we have event after tragic event after catastrophic event. This wasn't the same 100 years ago. It wasn't like this 50 years ago. It wasn't like this 25 years ago. But it's like this now. We're at the place now that you'll have two mass shootings in two days. And people would say, what in the world is going on? Well, I would say these are signs. These mm. are signs. So we got rid of polio and polio came back. We got rid of tuberculosis and got rid of. Now there are 2 million cases of tuberculosis around the world. Uh, we, we, we're making great progress in the fight against cancer. Great progress, not nearly enough progress. But now there's SARS and H1N1 and, 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 and Ebola and absolutely terrifying diseases that we have no answer for. So when you look at uh, incivility and hostility and terrorism and mass shootings and disease and the fact that the economies on the, of the world are inarguably teetering on a knife edge. I mean, it looks as though we're just a slip away from a global financial catastrophe. It tells me this isn't business as usual. And if you're not a believer, you can say, oh, it's just the way things go. But really, is that really right? Or does this represent something a little bit greater? I think it does. I think it tells us that we are at a time unparalleled uh, throughout the history of the world. We, if we were looking at the, the wristwatch of time, we would see that it's very, it's 1159.59. We're almost there. Yeah, and it reminds me of a text that uh, what you were just saying in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and starting in verse 1, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Um, when you're you travel around the world a lot, and uh, you know when people come out to, to your seminars, what 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 is driving them to your meetings? Are 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 people seeing this themselves? Are they are they sensing, you know, the things that you mention in the the moral kind of uh, degradation that we see around us? It, it, are people really sensing that something is is about to happen? What I'd love to tell you. And, and perhaps some people listening right now will expect me to tell you is that everywhere we go, there are massive crowds of people who just know that there's something taking place. But that's not true. Now, of course, we attract crowds of people, but it's not like the good old days when George Vanderman from It Is Written would speak in the Colosseum in London and there would be crowd. The place was packed. I've seen photographs and just the other day spoke with someone who attended those meetings. And there were lines of people, four or five or six wide, down the street and around the block in secular London. Now, we're going back to the 50s, and so perhaps right after World War II, there was a sense of urgency or a sense of something. So I would be misrepresenting the facts if I said that, oh, yeah, we we wave a Bible in the air and people come running. But to answer your question more directly, those who come, and, and please don't think people don't come out. Of course, there are people who are very interested in learning more. Mm -hmm. I do sense among the people who who come out to our meetings that there is a a very real sense, man, things just aren't right in the world. Things are not what they used to. A lot of people will see that and admit that and say, yeah, but whatever, life goes on. But the person who's looking through the lens of the Bible says, oh, this sounds an awful lot like what the Bible forecast." It speaks about what Jesus was talking to when he was speaking in Matthew 24, the parallel passage in Luke chapter 21. People, people get it, Travis. I'm telling you, they, they read the Bible, they look around the world, and they say, time must just about be up. And I think one of those things, I want to come back to that passage that you quoted. Mm-hmm. There's a really fascinating verse. Uh, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be false accusers. They'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And verse five said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And I think, and I don't say this with accusation, but I think many people that I interact with see this. They say in the churches, there's a form of godliness but there's a lot of denying the power. Again, I'm not trying to get on anybody myself. I'm reporting what people say to me. I see this thing where, where Christians are hypocrites. I see this thing where Christians are, are, are besotted with the idea of making money. I see this thing where there's a preoccupation with wealth and naming it and claiming it, and as though all God exists for us to give you everything you want. This is what I hear from people, and they're saying, this just doesn't look right. But other people say, now there's more than this, and I want to dig, and I want to search, and I want to get to what's really real because I haven't been satisfied with what I've experienced. So people are sensing this in a very, very real way. That's a perceptive question. 
Yeah, it is kind of um, interesting because, you, like you were just saying, not everybody is recognizing this. In fact, according to a Pew Research survey, roughly half, 48% of Christians in the U.S. say they believe that Christ will definitely or probably return to the earth in the next 40 years. Yeah, interesting. Um, that's that's pretty high, but like you just said, I mean, if, if that's true— and you look around, and, and a thinking individual who's looking at Christians and saying, hmm, what is their behavior indicating? That's right. It, it doesn't seem to match up. So where do you think that disconnect is in the Christian community, where we kind of, if someone were to ask us, we would say, yeah, we believe Jesus is coming soon. But when you look at Christians, for the most part, it's, it's hard to see that. I would say this. After thousands of years of being in business, the devil is at the top of his game. After thousands of years of sin, human beings are probably weaker than they've ever been. We're easy pickings uh, for someone as well-trained as the devil is. Our only hope, really, is to be connected to God and to have his strength in our lives. I think there's a disconnect because there's so much to distract people whether it's hours and hours on Facebook and no time to pray, whether it's uh, the sport or media or work or family or hobbies or whatever it might be, there's that. There are distractions, and it doesn't even need to be a bad thing. But whatever is keeping you from spending time with God and from connecting to his strength, that's going to drag you down. It's going to sap you of your spiritual life and vitality. The only hope for a person is to be connected to God like a, a, a branch is connected to a tree so that the life from the tree flows through the branch. That's our hope. Christianity isn't a philosophy. It's not merely a belief system. It is, it is the life you live when God lives his life in you. And imagine, imagine that life where the power of heaven courses through you know, your veins, the, the veins of your mind and heart and soul. This is what God wants for us. You read these words of Jesus. They're not mythological abide in me and I in you. This is what Christianity is. It's about turning your life over and saying, you know, God's way is the right way. I think it's become too easy to be a cultural Christian, a casual Christian. In the part of the United States where I live, and everybody's a Christian pretty much, but you don't see that reflected in society. If you line people up and said, is there a God? Yes, they'll be yes. Should a person live according to the Bible? They say, yes. Uh, is Jesus the Savior? And 19 out of 20 around here are going to say yes. But the crime statistics and the whatever statistics you want to use would indicate that the people where I live are just like people anywhere else. Hmm. Again, you know, keep in mind, people are faulty. Everybody makes mistakes. Anyone can, a believer or otherwise. But there is a disconnect. And uh, maybe our focus is in all the wrong, in some of the wrong places. And perhaps we're selling ourselves short. We are not really sure what God wants for us. If I go to church and all I hear is the minister say, you can have it if you believe it, and God's going to give you your blessing and your destiny and, and your highest hope and all of that. Yeah, all right, but, but I need to be searching for God's highest hope for my life. What's God's will for me, not what is my will for God? I like that. And, uh, you know, I was recently talking about this concept of spirit and truth and the balance that they are with one another. And when I think about the 
times that we're living in today, especially those of us who believe in a soon coming Jesus, um, you know, you, you look at the Bible and, and of course there's so much there that it seems that um, people would want to know and, and maybe a lot of it people do know. Um, and, and then, you know, that, that would be the, the, the concept of, of truth. You know, God wants us to worship him in, in spirit and truth. Um, and then on the other side of that, though, it seems that there's kind of a, well, it, it doesn't matter so much what the Bible teaches. It, it just matters, you know, that we have the right heart and that, um, you know, our motives are good and that we're trying to help humanity. Um, and, and so there's a, a, an emphasis on the spirit side of Christianity, but it's hard to find that balance um, where you see the, the people that are, are sold out for Jesus, like you were just talking about, abiding in Christ, you know, loving the world, and yet at the same time, looking at the Bible and, and learning from the Scriptures to see what things are happening and, and recognizing that, that Jesus is coming soon. Um, and so why, why do you think that's so hard to balance? It seems like, I don't know about your observation, but for me it seems like people kind of teeter on one side of that or the other? You know, I think the challenge is that we're selfish. And I didn't say that you are selfish, and I didn't say that that guy driving in his car right now listening is selfish, and I'm not saying the non-Christians are selfish. I think human beings are, are, are selfish. And uh, it's, it's kind of, there's a, I'll put it this way. You know, when somebody plays the piano, what makes the music sound good isn't whether or not the pianist is good or bad. It's tension. If mm. the strings in the piano aren't at the right tension, then the piano isn't going to sound good irrespective of who plays it. It's got to be in tune and that tune relies on tension. I've played the guitar a little bit. If you don't have the strings at the right tension on the guitar, it just sounds bad. And there is a certain tension that exists. And I think what, what gets in the way is this the selfishness that plagues us? Um, Jesus said it's really simple. The Bible is the most simple book in the world, and my goodness, we make it like it's make out like it's the hardest book in the world. Love God with all of your heart, mm-hmm. soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. What's hard about that? People say to me, "Oh, there's so much in the Bible that I struggle to understand," and I answer and say, "Well, just forget all of that. If just forget the stuff you can't understand, and focus on what you can understand. If you love me, keep my commandments." It's not hard to understand that, you see. Uh, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, First John 1, verse 9, in the, in the slightly moder- modified John Bradshaw version. That's uh, <laughs> not hard to understand. Um, so, you know, we say, oh, the Bible, maybe it's the Word of God, but I think. No, you don't think. Jesus spoke to that woman taken in adultery. He said, don't do that anymore. Go and sin no more. That's God's plan for us. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. It takes, but it does take somebody, I think, with an ulterior motive, known or unknown ulterior motive. Someone who looks at that and says, yeah, that was for a different place in time. We don't need to take the Bible so seriously. How much more serious can it be than this is the word of God? That's not bad news. It's good news. What is the Bible? It's a good news book. This is God saying, you're in a really fallen, broken world, but I've got something better for you. And I want you to be happy there. 
You won't be happy there unless you love me. So I've got you on this earth to learn how to love me. And that's right. Garbage happens in your life. But if you'll love me even in that, you'll learn that you're going to love me in anything. It's such good news. God will say to somebody like me, Bradshaw, you're a wretch, but I'll forgive you. And I'll, and I'll treat you like you never sinned before. And I'll give you a new heart. And the good news is I'll keep you from going back those old dark alleys you used to go down in your life. Wow. All, all I can say is, oh, thank you, God, for that. That is such good news. Yeah, we mess this up. We get faith and works out of whack because at the end of the day, we are not wanting to say what Jesus said. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If we could say that, that'd solve all our problems. Mm. I agree 100%. And I think the the challenge um, is, like you were just saying, we, we want to be in control and uh, one of those two sides of the coin is depending on our personality or our upbringing or uh, there's probably many other factors that come into play. We're, we're more comfortable there. Um, and the, the other side takes a little bit more um, self-sacrifice. So it, it, is, it is a challenge to stay balanced. And, and it's a challenge even for Christians to stay balanced when, when they're thinking about uh, and talking about end times, uh, you see sometimes the that that it people use very provocative headlines and and sometimes stretch the truth a little bit to try to 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 get people to click or to come out to their meetings and 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 so there is a little bit of a callus out there um, when it comes to talking about the second coming of Jesus. I've noticed. And I'm sure you have too. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions you would say about the second coming that you have heard coming from the Christian community at large? Hmm. Well, there have been a few. I'm going to go back to this thing that I said a moment ago. The Bible is a pretty simple book if you take it at face value. If you just read what the Bible says and say, oh, okay. If you look at what Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. What was it like in Noah's day? You had a few people on a boat, eight of them, and everybody else was destroyed. It's pretty, pretty serious. Jesus is saying, I'll save some and others are not going to make it because they have said, I'm not interested in heaven. You, you can't blame God for not taking to heaven people who have said, I don't want to go. Uh, later in the chapter, he said, two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. And he elaborated on that. It's really interesting to me that in recent years, and I don't want to call anybody out, but you asked the question and I owe you an answer. In recent years, okay, in recent decades, people have started talking about the second coming of Jesus. And they've talked about this thing where Jesus comes back for the, for the saved, for the saints, and he leaves the unsaved here on the earth, and there's the secret rapture or a rapture, and he takes some, off to heaven they go, and then he leaves the others here on the earth for three and a half years or seven years, depending on who you ask. And if they accept Jesus in that time, then they can go, and if they don't, then they cannot go. You know, Travis, that's a really recent invention. Uh, Jesus didn't teach it. Paul didn't teach it. The early Christian church didn't teach it. The medieval church didn't teach it. Uh, it really came into Christianity in the United States oh, in the last hundred years, 
really. And even then, when it first came along, it wasn't even a popular uh, wasn't even a popular teaching. And so today, you've got masses of people who believe that you know you're going to have this return of Jesus, where Jesus comes back, but you don't see him. He just sort of um, raptures the saved and the rest live on, you may say, well, what harm does that make? But the harm is, is that it's part of a much broader, more complex uh, theological belief system. You know, that's, that's just not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. It's not anywhere. I'm not saying it's in the Bible and I disagree with it. It's simply not there. The Bible says Jesus will come back and every eye shall see him. If you can't believe what the Bible plainly states, it's not prophetic, so there's no symbol. If you can't believe what the Bible plainly states, then you might as well say you can't believe the Bible. So that's one of the misconceptions that I see about the second coming, and it's a pretty major one. Essentially, it says if you're not ready when Jesus comes back, you get another shot at it. Mm. I, I used to live in London, and I'd catch the bus, the number 73 bus, and if I missed the number 73 bus, it didn't matter, because there'd be another one along in just a few minutes. The second coming of Jesus is not like that. There's one bus it comes once, and that's why Jesus said again and again, be ye also ready. Be ready. That theme goes through the Bible, through the New Testament especially. Be ready, because you don't know when Jesus is going to come back. So that's, that's one misconception about the second coming of Jesus that I think is particularly damaging, because it, it, A, it causes people to reject some of the plainer statements of the Bible, and B, it says to people, You've got time when we don't have time. Right. And another point to add to what you're saying is that if you believe that the church is raptured before a lot of the events in Revelation take place, then then there's not an incentive or, or a um, maybe even uh, a desire to really understand uh, because those who are Christians might say, oh, well, that won't apply to me anyway. Um, so oh, no that- question. Trevor, Travis, I've had people tell me that to my face. Tell me that just, you know, kindly, oh, I don't have to worry about any of that, preacher, because I'm not going to be here when that happens. So, you know, the prophecies of Revelation 13, for example, some of Revelation 14, uh, people just feel at liberty to ignore that. It's completely unimportant because I'm not going to be here. And and because you reject that, you cannot then understand the issues involved. And if you don't understand the issues involved, you may not understand your present duty in the sight of God. Hmm. The second coming of Jesus, too, is really good news. It's just good, 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 good news. Jesus is coming back, and we get to go home to where we really ought to be and where God wants us to be. So some people have a, a doom and gloom view of the second coming of Jesus, and we really don't need to have that kind of view at all. Yeah, and like you were mentioning, you're quoting from Matthew 24, and and Jesus said there, you know, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And and in my last episode, we were talking about the first angel's message in Revelation chapter 14, and uh, we were looking at verses 6 and 7, which says, Then Um, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him 
who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. What, what do you think that loud voice indicates there about this, this gospel that you've been telling? And I agree 100%. It's the best news ever. Um, what, what, is, what is loud? What is, what is going to happen in your, in your view when this gospel truly um, reaches the world? When I was a child, I grew up perilously close to a railway line. And uh, boys are drawn to, to things they shouldn't be drawn to. We spent a lot of time on the railway line, tossing rocks around and putting things on the tracks for trains to flatten. Please don't try that at home. Uh, and, so, and so on and so on and so on, you know. It's like a magnet to us. One day I was on that track and a train was coming. Now it was miles, it was a long way from me, but my brother did not know that I was aware there was a train coming. And I'm standing on the track and there's a train, oh, hundreds of yards down the track, but I've got my back to it and my brother sees it coming towards me. And he yells at me, yells, shouts as loud as he can. Now he was quite a distance away and of course I couldn't hear him because there was a train coming. Uh, my brother did not speak in a loud voice because he did not care for me. He spoke in a loud voice because he cared for me. This was an urgent, desperate situation. And I think this angel speaking with a loud voice is, and, and the angel is prefigures or figures a messenger, really. This is not a literal angel in literal heaven. So this messenger speaks with a loud voice. It's kind of fun, I think, in the Greek language, megaphone, mega loud phone voice. It's like a, speaks with a megaphone, you know, God is, is speaking to get our attention. It's we're close now. It's not, we do not have a lot of time. It's not far away, the return of Jesus. And so God is trying desperately to get our attention. It's a startling message. Fear God, give glory to him. Why? The hour of his judgment has come, my goodness, and worship him who is the creator who made everything that you see in the, in the beginning made everything. And God is trying to convey to us a desperate sense of urgency. You know, we don't want, we don't want to just go off to sleep. We don't want to live without reference to God. We just don't have a lot of time. Even if we did, you wouldn't want to waste a minute by not being t- connected to God. God is conveying a sense of urgency in that passage. Wow. To follow up with that, would you say that the message as it goes out will draw everyone's attention or will it, will it be kind of an underground kind of uh you know <laughs> you know going back to that whole secret rapture thing um is, is this something that's going to draw the world's attention to christ no doubt about it no i don't know i don't know that that necessarily means it's going to be a, a a loud message a uh sensational message i don't think we need to say that but when jesus is revealed in power when the righteousness of Christ is seen, he said, when I'm lifted up from all the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. So there's no doubt in my mind. Notice what the Bible says. The message goes to every nation and and tribe and tongue and people. So this is a message, according to the Bible itself, that everyone will hear. It's going to be stunning enough that it's revealed to the entire world. So how he chooses to do that, God will reveal that to us. But his gospel message in earth's last days is going to be heard and to some degree or another understood by everybody on the planet. So I think it's big stuff. Mm. Like I said before, you know, the, the theme of this podcast is being ready for Jesus. And in light of our conversation today, uh, what 
Is there anything in your mind that is required to be ready for that event? I mean, Matthew 25 follows Matthew 24, and, and you see in there there's the parable of the ten virgins. Five were ready and five weren't. Then you have the that followed by the parable of the the two faithful servants and the unfaithful that were given the talents. And then it concludes with the the separation of the sheep and the goats. What what are those parables, um, you know, indicating uh, to us today as far as what um, being ready for Jesus entails? If someone is listening and saying, I want to be ready for Jesus, um, what would you say to them? How would they get ready for Jesus? Well, it's a terrific question because you have people who are saved and some who are lost. In the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, some had oil, some did not. But keep in mind, they all slumbered and slept. Here were people who had talents. You can define that any old way you like, abilities, capabilities, money, whatever it was given to them by a certain individual. And uh, those who consecrated that to God were saved and those who chose to be selfish with it were not. They did not recognize God and weren't consecrated to God. Preparation for the second coming can be made as complex as you like, but the bottom line is this. If you can learn to trust God and welcome him into your life, if you can surrender your life to him, I think the word it comes down to is surrender. Not even the word understand, because we may be at different places in our understanding. But if you can say to yourself, yeah, I I would like to be saved. I would like to live forever. You might want to flip that and say, I want to honor God. Jesus died for me. He died for me. Heaven gave everything for me. What do I do in response? I surrender. I say, not my will, your will be done. And then keep this in mind. You grow. You grow. No one can be the finished product Christian immediately. You can be saved immediately, but there's growing to do. I once heard someone say that sanctification is the work of a lifetime. And I, I fully agree with that. So you yield, you surrender your life to God and you say, I want what, keep this in mind. God wants you to be saved. So you don't go to God and say, listen, I, I need to convince you to save me. What's it going to do to, to, to turn you so that you're willing to save me? God wants me in heaven. He wants you to have everlasting life. All you're doing is allowing God to do in your life what he wants to do. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to get holy. You don't have to be good. You simply present yourself to God and say, all right, all right, you've been pursuing me. Here I am. You can have me. You can have me now. And as far as I'm concerned, you can have me forever. And you keep making that decision. Heaven is yours. The moment you, you, you yield your life to Christ, he's got you. And the, the, the foolish ones in the first parable of Matthew chapter 25, they found out the hard way. Man, it doesn't pay to go to sleep on God and, and, and not have his spirit in your life, the oil representing the Holy Spirit, not be surrendered to God. The parable of the talents, here were people who had, you know, five talents or four talents or two talents. They said, all right, whatever we've got is yours. And there was a person who decided they didn't have much, but they wouldn't give it to God. Uh, just yield your life to God. That's all. I wake up in the morning, God, I'm yours. You're going to want to spend time in prayer. You're going to want to read God's word. But all of that flows out of a surrender where you say, okay, that's what you want. I'll let you do it. You do it. Amen. Um, as we kind of wrap up, um, again, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, 
and I know we didn't get a chance to get into your testimony. That probably would have taken up the whole uh, the whole podcast or more. Yeah, we'll do that next time. <laughs> um, but just briefly, you know, in light of everything you said, you know, how has this belief affected you personally? You know, I, I you were a young man when you when you found the Lord and, and this hope was yeah. born in your heart. Um, how has this driven you in your life? How does this drive you every day? You know, what, what, what does the belief in the soon coming of Jesus really mean to you right now? It means so much to me. It makes the reality of salvation that much more vivid in my life. He's coming back. It gives me hope. One day, all the craziness in the world will be gone. One day, I'll live in a place without sin and selfishness and suffering and sadness. I don't know everything that God has planned for me because, you know, heaven is this, we know a little, but man, there's a lot we don't know. It's going to be beyond our wildest expectations. And so I'm hopeful. I know that God wants me to be there. He wants me to be saved. So I know that uh, in surrendering my life to God, uh, God is pleased and and I'm happy about that. Uh, my hope in the second coming of Jesus, you know, it says to me, you want to be there, and then there must be a question that's raised. How are you going to be there? How are you going to be there? And it keeps bringing me back to this idea of surrender. I cannot be what God wants me to be. I just cannot. But when the Spirit of God comes into my life, God can make me everything he wants me to be. In accepting Jesus, the second coming of Christ isn't just some thing that's going to happen way down there. It's a reality. And I have that hope in the here and now. And I'm reminded about what God is like. God is good. There's a beautiful verse in the Bible. I just love it so much. Psalm 103 is a beautiful psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Uh, It goes on to say, uh, where do I begin? Um, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not punished us according to our iniquities. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Here's the verse, verse 14. It says, for he knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. You know, I want to go to heaven. What's my hope? Look, God knows what I'm made of. Mm -hmm. He knows what I'm made of. That doesn't provide me with an excuse. Oh, I just did this asinine thing again. It's okay because God knows what I'm made of. I don't mean that. God is willing to forgive me because he knows what I'm made of. He's willing to assist me because he knows what I'm made of. He's willing to live his life in me. He understands me. He knows that I'm dust. He knows what I'm made of. This gives me an immense amount of hope. Jesus is coming back soon to take us to be with his Father forever. What's that Father like? He's a loving God, a good God, a great God. He's kind. He's willing to forgive. Knowing that Jesus is coming back again helps me to make sense of everything craziness in the world isn't going to go on forever and ever and ever. One day things are going to be made new. There's a wonderful prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 that shows Jesus coming back to this earth. The kingdoms of this world are swept away and God's forever kingdom is established. For me, it's just the most hopeful thing because it's the second coming. 
of a Savior, a loving Savior, the Son of a loving God. I know Jesus is coming back soon. I don't know when that is, but I know it's soon. And I can't wait. And because I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I know now, not that I will be ready, but that I am ready. And I can say with John, who wrote the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today studying the second coming of Jesus with John Bradshaw. But don't just take our word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find transcripts of many of our other episodes and receive my ebook, Seventh Day Rest, just for signing up to our mailing list. And for study guides that you can download immediately and start using today, we recommend the It Is Written Bible Study Guides available electronically at itiswritten.study. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. All right. Well, I enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Adventology. Until then, Maranatha.